So it is March 2020. This is Behind the DM Screen. We are three DMs helping each other out, and that's your introduction. Mike, say hi. Yo. That wasn't hi. There we go. (laughs) Uh, Sam, say hi. Hi. All right. Chat room, say hi. Uh, That'll take a little bit. (laughs) So uh, we are are streaming the recording live on Twitch at twitch.com. TV slash Tome Show, as we've been doing lately. Um, so if you're interested in seeing these uh, being recorded live with our um, passably acceptable uh, visages uh, live in front of you, then uh, then make sure to, to check that Speak out. Speak for yourself. I, I mostly am, yeah. <laughs> uh, then you can go and, and find us there. Follow us. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, at the Tome Show, uh, I usually tweet about it when we're about to go live there. So you can check it all out at that spot. So um, shall we get started? Yep. All sure. right. I'm going to put 15 minutes on the clock. I am first because last time I was last and Mike was skipping. So we haven't heard that from Mike suspicious. in two months. Yeah, but we had an upgrade mm-hmm. though. We brought we brought uh, Lauren in. Um, yeah, no uh, kidding. Yeah, she was she was great to have. So, um, anyway, That's I'm gonna awesome. put 15 minutes on the clock, and I'm gonna ta- tell you about my game. Uh, and and it's it's exciting because as of last week Friday, I have uh, finished officially uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. The the, in- nice. the adventure has con- it is concluded. Um, I last time. Well, last time Sam and I chatted, um, the question I, w- I had to deal with was, okay, they're going into the Castellanter Villa, and how am I going to run that? Because they have – basically, since Dragon Heist isn't really much of a heist, right? There's, it's more of an investigation, and then you end up in the vault. Um, we ended up with a heist anyway because I decided one of the keys to the vault was a soul coin that was being held by the chain devil in the castle Inter villa. And so they were figuring out how to get into it. Um, and, and, and I was worried about how to like set that up and prepare for it and whatever. And ultimately it turned out that I should have like not worried about it and taken a, a lazy DM Mike Shea approach to the whole thing. Um, and, and that's ended up being kind of what I did. Like I mapped out the like one room that I, where I knew there would be a major encounter just so we could throw the minis on and and do it because my players like having the minis. Uh, so I had the chain devil sort of attic done, uh, and mapped out. But then after that, it was like, well, I have the book. I know what's in the rooms, uh, whenever and wherever they decide to do this thing, I'll just leave it up to them and make it up as I go. Right. Uh, and so they decided to use some connections. Um, one of my characters is a tiefling war, uh, no, a tiefling bard, uh, whose backstory is that she's, her family actually immigrated from Dis. Like they lived on the second layer of hell and her family left and came to Waterdeep. Uh, and okay. as part of her backstory, she has a, a, she chose to p- take a back, uh, an element that said that she has some sort of rival. Uh, some deep-seated rival that, that's always out there besting her at things and whatever, uh, named Zeres. And so um, the way that has played out is the first time I sort of introduced Zeres into the into the story. What I did was I replaced 
was it Willifort, which I think is the doppelganger sort of uh, yep. manservant. Yeah. Uh, right. So I replaced him with Zaries. Zaries is working for the Castellanters instead. Um, and and uh, it turns out once I introduced him, she very quickly decided, no, 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 he's not just a former rival. He is that. But he's also a former lover. And she actually tried to convince him to come to Waterdeep, and he didn't go because he wanted to stay in hell and, and raise up the right, you know, rise up the ranks uh, of the devils and all that. Uh, but now he's here, and he's working for other people, and he's a manservant. And she's like, "What's going on?" And he's got this whole like, "Well, actually, I'm using them to get what I want," and, and it's a whole thing, right? So that's actually turned out to be a really good um, storyline. I, I built him as a PC. Uh, I built him as a 10th level uh, Warlock Hexblade. And every single time I chose a spell for him, I chose uh, that and, and his, uh, what is it, invocations. Every time I chose a feature for him, I chose something that I thought would help him escape. You know, so it's all mm-hmm. dimension door, freedom of movement stuff, you know, uh, all these things, right? And so he's just driving her up the wall. Like the one time she finally decides, oh, this is it. I'm going to confront him. Uh, and, and he's like, okay, you know, he does that, what is it, thunder step or whatever it is, where he, you know, yeah, big thundering step, boom, right? right? So he thunder steps and, and almost kills her and, and, and teleports out into the alleyway and runs away, right? Um, right. But I'm getting ahead of myself. She uses his connection to be like, hey, um, I know things are tense. Let's talk this out as a way of getting into the Castellanter Villa and to scout things out. And she sneaks in the party druid with her, uh, the party druid who like wild shapes into a, you know, a, a, a chipmunk or whatever. Um, and so... That way they can use that as an opportunity to sort of scout the thing out, figure out what's up in the attic. They, they used an animal friendship and, and, and thing, um, series of spells to check it out earlier. But I had the, the rat that they found crawl under the door and then immediately be slaughtered by the chain devil, right? So they didn't actually see anything. It was just like, what's under here? Splat! You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's what they were... They, they, they had done enough sort of locate object things. They figured out that's, that's where the soul coin was, but they didn't know what was in there. Uh, and so they decided to go check it out. He checks it out. He finds out what, that, what's in there. It's the chain devil. He's got the soul coin sort of uh, chained to his chest. Um, and, and and go figure out the rest of it, right? Uh, and then she decided to continue the distraction and goes off with Zaries, the, the rival slash lover, off to his quarters to do whatever they're doing, right? It's all happening off camera. I don't want to I don't want to put that on camera for everybody. Um, so they go off and do that, and the druid uses uh, uh, some ascending spell or whatever and lets the rest of the party, who's like out in the alleyway, know what's going on. I have the, the rest of the party includes two ASMR. So they managed to, through magic and through you know sprouting their wings, fly straight up to the balcony where the attic is instead of going through the whole the whole villa. So it turns into a real heist, right? But by the time they get up there, it's been a little while. By the time they get up there, uh, Amalia uh, Castellanter is up there, you know, weeping over her son like she does. And so they get the whole sad story, like they're just trying to save the, the souls of their other two children, and oh, woe is me, you know, uh, what have you, right? Uh, but ultimately, at the end of the day, they're like, well, you made your bed, and I guess we don't care much about your innocent children, and they kill her. 
uh, and the Chain Devil. They get the, they get the Soul Coin. They work their way through the estate. Uh, they're leaving the nor- in the normal way this time. Uh, because their scouting also discovered the the vault where they have their their like half a million gold coins sitting in it, um, and they're like, well, you know, that seems interesting. Plus, they're planning on killing a bunch of people, so we should try to stop that. And so um, they work their way down to the vault um, with some you know stuff in between. On the way there, though, they find the poison that they were going to use. It was actually hidden up in like the castle, the you know the lord and lady's room. Uh, so that kind of foils the kill everybody plot if they don't have their poison, um, and they they decide well, but we're going to be greedy anyway. Let's go down and get the coin. They get down into the vault. The black viper is already there, stealing some of the gold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they had their own. They had their own set of half a million gold. The castle separate from still. the half a million yeah. gold. Yeah, they do. Is that in the book? Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, right. so in mind they had already given it away. They gave they gave half to Asmodeus already, and we're working to get the other half. Oh no! In the book, in the, the book, the problem is like, boy. Go ahead. The book has that. Yeah, the book says so, uh, like they have to. You have to go through the hidden vault just to get down to the lower chamber where they're doing the rituals anyway. Uh, and, oh, I, and, I didn't. Know. I mean that that means it's really easy for the characters to end up with a half a million gold. Right. Uh, so. So, well, yes and no, because, I mean, it's still, like, if you look at the logistics of getting that much coin out, it takes, like, 16 trips with a bag of holding, you know? Uh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even with a bag of holding. Even with yeah. a bag of holding. Uh, because of the weight, not the volume. If it was if it was just volume, you can carry I, – I, I looked at uh, some places where people did the math. If you just look at the volume, a bag of cold holding can hold over 300,000 coins. But the weight yeah. uh, means that you can only carry, like, 25,000. Interesting. Right. So they get down there. I got to tell you that this this conversation right now is some of my favorite deep geek D&D mm. crap what we're talking about oh, right yeah, now. No. We're yeah, talking like how about much how many coins. I know. Yeah, that's, how, that's how, how much can you fit? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it turned out one of, one of my players, my, my min-maxer uh, player, uh, my rules lawyer player, um, had already done that math and kind of knew <laughs> what, what, exactly what he could get away with. Um <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so anyway, they got down there. They filled up the bag of holding. They also just grabbed a couple of sacks, figuring they'll just carry it out in, in sacks, what they could carry. But then they got a message from the character who was off distracting the the Zeris, the, the rival, right? Uh, and she decided th- – this was – you know we had a week then in between sessions, and that player decided, no, this is the moment. Like I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to go after him now. I'm, I'm done with the ruse. And so she decided to attack him while they were in the middle of the heist. And, and then he escapes, and she sends a message uh, down to them like, I need your help now. And so they drop the, the big sacks right where they are in the middle of the vault and go running to help her. They chase her around. Um, they 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 don't they don't get to they don't manage don't don't manage to to catch up with the guy. He basically runs into the crowd and on the street and turns invisible because every spell I chose was to get away, um, <laughs> you know. And so there's no way for them to get him. Uh, eventually, uh, pretty quickly after that, with all that ruckus going on, a big explosion of of the thunder step and all that, um, the watch shows up. And so now their chance to go down and get all that gold is gone because the watch is there, right? It's all going to get searched. Mm. It's all going to get confiscated. They get down to the lower crypts uh, and and where the ritual is going on. They discover the cultists, except Victoro is gone. Uh, and the, the cultists that are still there are like, oh, yeah, his, his manservant came by. Uh, 
because uh, that's where Zeres ended up going is run down to, to help Victoro escape and they, they escaped through the, the r- little underground river that's, that runs nearby um, so, so that all went brilliantly well they managed to I mean I didn't completely hose them right they managed to fill the bag of holding so they got 25,000 gold pieces out of the whole thing um, they felt pretty accomplished uh, and that, that, that's my key right one of the things that drives me crazy about the adventure is you p- pump up for the whole adventure like go get half a million gold and then at the end it's like no 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 you gotta give that up now right uh, and that's kind of lame yeah right or, or not yeah well so so the way I ended up running it was um I made it clear, like to them, like this is stolen gold. It's been extorted. It belongs to the people of Waterdeep. Like Jarl Axel showed up. Uh, this was uh, before all this happened. Jarl Axel showed up and said, "Hey, look, I know you're going for the gold, and let's let's you know, I'm a good guy. I'm, let me prove I'm a good guy. Let's just all assume that this gold, when you recover it, is going to go back to the city because that's the rightful owner." And they're like, "Oh." crap we didn't think about that <laughs> right so jarl axel was the voice of reason he was the moral authority uh of all people that's funny and so um so yeah so so that's when they had the big debate and they decided okay well we'll send jarl axel wanted them like he'll give him a 15 percent cut and a magic item uh if he lets them him take the gold and then he can give it to the city so he can raise his standing and he's tra- he's angling to become a, a mass lord right mm-hmm. um but he needs to. He wants the leverage. Uh, so, the stuff at the castle in Manor happens. They go to. Um, they manage to get. To, now they got all the pieces. They go to the vault. They open the vault up. They go inside. They go through the stuff. They they make the deal with black the black viper who owns the the property to to cut her in on it. Um, uh, and she goes in and there's like a, a mosaic or something on the wall that that charms people. Uh, and, and mm-hmm. if you're charmed by it, you like you have to protect it with all of your all of your life, right? Uh, she was the only one charmed by it, by it, <laughs> so she ends up staying behind while they go through the rest of it, right? Because they're like, I don't know, I guess just leave her, let her predict the art, you know. Uh, so, <laughs> so they go through the rest of it. They manage to figure out the the secret door and and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they avoid a lot of the traps. They don't also don't explore some of the hidden areas, but that's fine. They find the vault. They find the the old uh, dwarf down there who's actually the dragon. But they had already figured out that it was a dragon, and then it was like, oh well, I guess he's in dwarf form, whatever. And he's holding the the dragon staff, right? Right, and they and they managed to convince him. Uh, the bard who had run off with the whole Zeres thing, um, she ends up uh, like they're trying to convince him, like, "Hey, the gold is illegitimate. Lord Neverember shouldn't have had it. He extorted it. It was it was illegal." And and the book's right. like, "Well, and and if they try to persuade him with that kind of logic, here's the DC of the check, and it's like a DC seventeen persuasion check." She rolls and gets like a twenty seven. So it's like, all right, well, yeah, like, yeah you convinced him, you know, because <laughs> that's what bards do. Um, so yeah, That's so awesome. she so she convinces him. He's like, "Deal. I get to keep the staff. I get to keep the pile of gems, but I'll let you send people down and collect all the gold and do all that kind of stuff." Uh, and so they're like, "Great." And he's like, "Oh, by the way, close the door on your way out. The command word to close the door is whatever it is." Right? He tells them. Right. They go. They they go back out. The druid is in is wild shaped into a spider, so he just lets spider silk down, and they climb straight down instead of going through the whole thing again with the bridges and all that. Um, and, they, and as they as they come down and they're about ready to head for the door, uh, Castellanter and and Zeres and a bunch of devils and cultists suddenly leap out uh, from behind the the pillars to to say, "Ah, we've been following you, and we're here to take all the money." Um, right. 
And so we have this big giant climactic battle and the one and one of the characters is like, "Oh, we can't let them get down to the vault. If I say the command word, it'll close the door to the dragon." So he says the command word, not realizing, "No, that closes the door to the like the whole cha- the whole complex." So now you've locked yourself in with these guys, right? Yeah. Um, so there's no escape. They had struck this deal that that uh, Brick and Dareth would sh- would help them extract the gold, and so Brick and Dareth had also followed them and and leaps out from their hiding place in the middle of the fight and helps out. You know, basically once it was clear that they were going to win, then then of course Jarlaxle can show up and 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 do his part to to make them feel awesome. Um, and as that's going on, suddenly licks of, of silver fire start coming in through the, the vault door. Because Laryl, uh, Silverhand, uh, and the Blackstaff have been keeping tabs on them as, as well and have shown up. And Laryl, uh, the Chosen of Mistra, according to lore, have the ability to use the silver fire to negate enchantments. So she can't, she doesn't have the keys to open the door. She's just going to completely disenchant it and burn her way through. Uh, and so mm-hmm. the dragon shows up from up above and calls the command word to open the door because he's like, oh, this is my new lair and I don't want her to destroy my door, right? Uh, so he just lets yeah, her yeah. in. <laughs> but, I, but I had that happen basically when the fight was over so that Laryl and the Blackstaff could come in and, and clean things up, right? Zeri's actually tried to dimension door out of the vault and escape once more. And, and she was, the, the one player was like crazy pissed, like, oh, he got away again, right? And then when the doors open and Blackstaff and Laryl are out there. Um, Zeri's is is there at their feet, bound up in iron bands of Bellaro. Uh, you know, uh, like, oh no, no, we got him. It's fine. You don't get to kill him. We're going to yeah. put him in jail, but we got him. You know, you didn't get away. Um, yeah. And so and so now they and they got there. Then they had to make this decision, right? We we've got this gold. We made a deal with Jarl Axel, but Laryl and the Blackstaff are right here, and they're like, right, you know. It's our it's our city's gold. We're in charge. Like, you should give it to us. But I made up some law that where you know they have the right of like reclamation or whatever until they can uh, prove who it belongs to or whatever. So they got had to decide. I wanted them to have this this moral choice, right? Give it to right. give it to the city directly and do the right thing, or give it to Jarlaxel. And Laryl's like, that's not going to be a good idea. Jarlaxel is not really as as on the up and up as you think he is, and and I, and I don't trust him. Uh, ultimately, they they debated and they weren't sure, but ultimately, they gave the money to um, the city to Laryl and the Blackstaff, and and to to make it clear, like they were worried about uh, retribution from Jarl Axel, and he's like, oh look, if I were you, I'd give it to them. Like this is Laryl freaking Silverhand. <laughs> like I'm not messing with her. Right. That's, that's fine. I get it. Uh, and so ultimately they gave it to the, back to the city. Um, and from there, the black staff was like, come see me in two days. She offered them the opportunity to become full-blown members of Force Grey uh, as protectors of the city. All but two members of the party said yes, which was really my excuse to give them some, some rare magic items. Uh, but of course, those two players didn't get any, but that's fine. Because one of them was the bard and she picked up the, the rod of rulership that Lord Victorio uh, Castellanter was carrying, which is already a powerful enough uh, rare magic item. So uh, mm-hmm. so, na- so now I'm running into my next session tomorrow and it's like, okay, next up is like downtime, shopping time. Um, and I think I'm going to use it as an opportunity for some faction missions along the way. Like my original plan was to run into like one quest and then runs, you know, give them some downtime, whatever, just hand wave it, 
you know, six months later, move on. Uh, here's this other quest that you need to do that involves going out into the Margrave because I, I brought that in, remember? Um, and when they come on their I'm shocked. Right. And when they're on their way back, um, the, the mist that brought the Margrave to, to Faroon would take it back and it would end up becoming part of Barovia and would go straight into Curse of Strahd. Um, now I'm starting to get the impression that they would actually prefer to stick around for a little bit longer. So I'm coming mm. up with all these other faction missions I can run with them. So I'm going to do two of them from Dragon Heist that still kind of work. Uh, that I can bring in and, and, and we'll be fine. Um, I'm going to use, uh, what is it, Gleam in the King's Eye from Sly Flourish's Fantastic Adventures. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, Yay. I decided um, to help the way I'm sort of um, you know cameoing things that are going to be important later on in the next campaign. I decided that instead of uh, White Sparrow and all that, it is a diplomatic home of the Van Thampers from Baldur's Gate. And so Duke Van mm-hmm. Thamper from Descent into Avernus is going to show up and be like, hey, I you know, have the contest to find people and say, I need people to go down into the, into right. the catacombs and help me recover, not the crown. My, my cellars are weird. Right. Yeah. But, but specifically, she's looking to recover um, the shield that would become the, the prison for the Hidden Lord. Because I plan later, oh, cool. after Curse of Strahd, that they will actually use the shield to trap one of the um, dark powers or well, one of the champions of the dark powers, which will be the, the pit fiend that's, that's trapped in there. Right. right? It's, it'll all tie together. Um, so, so that's going to be one of the things I do with that. I'm going to bring in Isle of the Abbey from ghost of salt marsh, which I know you ran um, because I'm, I've decided that. Oh, dude. Yeah. It's the worst adventure in that book. Oh, is it? Yes. It's terrible. Oh, well, then maybe I won't. My it's original plan... Un- undead, 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 undead on the, the island. It's a terrible... Well, the, the, the undead on the island is actually the interesting part. The dungeon is uh, oh. just, a, just a slog. My original, no my original plan was to, to make that be when Barovia re-merges with the realms, that's where the Amber Temple was going to be located, was on that abbey. And I was going to have some clues to that uh, here. You can, you can, if, you, if you take the Amber Temple and put it on the island, that's fine. The, the problem is the, the is map the of the abbey itself is, yeah, it's just a terrible design. All right. Well, I'll rethink like, that. Physically, thing. it's a bad design. Yeah. And, then, and then finally, the last faction mission is going to be going into the Margrave to figure out what's going on with all the really aggressive wolves that keep attacking people. Uh, and then I'll run um, a, a, an adventure called Challenge of, of the Fang from Tales of the Old Margrave, um, which is basically like a, a dark fairy tale D&D remake of Little Red Robin Hood or Riding Hood, right? Uh, where you have to go through these challenges. Yeah, that too. <laughs> you have to go through these challenges to find um, the old crone's hut, which is actually in the boughs of of a treant who's stomping around through the forest. And it's a it's a regular like the Margrave sort of creates this challenge between humanity and the wolves to see who's going to have primacy in the forest for the next you know hundred years or whatever. Uh, and so it's mm. always a, a young woman in a red cloak. Who is the represents humanity, and then there's the the wolf who would be king, uh, who has the ability to just swallow people whole, and has done so with the old crow, you know, and and depending on when they get there, possibly Red Riding Hood, who's has a different name. Merrick, 
Merrick Black has a question for you, but I don't know if he realizes that you're 25 minutes over on your timer. <laughs> do, you, do you want to answer it anyway? I don't know about 25 minutes over. But... Was it 35 minutes? I think I, it's 11.15 I am, I am now. eight minutes over at most. <laughs> That's so much better. Yeah. Uh, so Merrick so, says, uh, is the group ever going to get to Barovia or are you just going to or are they just going to end up somewhere else? Oh no! They're gonna. The, the plan is that they're gonna get to Barovia. So after they do the that that uh, challenge of the Fang adventure, the plan is that as they're heading back to Waterdeep through the Margrave Forest, the mist that brought the Margrave there will will roll back through and take the entire forest and the party with them back to Barovia. So they'll think they're headed back to Waterdeep and they'll find themselves at the gates of Barovia. Yeah. So my original plan was to get there really fast, and now it sounds it feels like they have a lot that they want to do before they get there. So I'm going to let them have a few sessions to do other things. That's why I'm bringing in all these late faction missions. So, so that's me. Uh, and I've talked a lot and my voice is slowly getting weaker. So I'm going to, that's a good place to stop. Um, so uh, before we move on to the next, I want to remind people that if you want to support the show, you can do so by going to thetomeshow.com and clicking on the links to Amazon or DMs Guild. And then you get the exact same shopping experience at those two stores as you normally get. Uh, but we get a small percentage of the cut. So uh, that's a good place to go. If you are watching us on the Twitch stream, is that is that DM bundle still going on, Mike? Yeah. So there is a there is a DMs bundle on uh, DMs Guild, including uh, a bunch of stuff from Mr. Mike Shea right here. Uh, and if you yeah, can, every if, book every book I've published uh, since the original Lazy Dungeon Master, except for Grand Root, is in one package. Nice for twenty bucks, plus a bunch of other stuff as well from other people. So right, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> your stuff is the important stuff. Uh, so the point being, yeah, why, why would I pay attention to that? <laughs> point being, if people want to go there and get uh, this great deal with all this fantastic Sly Flourish stuff, um, they should totally do that and go get there through the link at thetomeshow.com. Then we get a small cut. Mike over here gets a cut, uh, and you get a great deal with fantastic stuff. So there we are. Uh, Amazon and DMs Guild from thetomeshow.com, and it helps us out. Sam. I'm going to stop talking because yes, for once I went like a mic length of time on my, on my part. Oh, so, <laughs> oh what is that? We're going to let, we're going to let Sam go. Mike, now. It was amazing. Mike, when, when it was, it, when it was Jeff and I and Lauren, we were all on time. We didn't go over, not 30 seconds. Hey, I it, haven't was, even started. it was beautiful. It started. We're 50% <laughs> over. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, Sam, any- you're up. Anyway, uh, okay, so, um, wow, okay, I think last time I described the end of the Grindelroot campaign mm. that, uh, that I was playing, right? But I didn't really talk about D&D Brief very much, so I'm going to sort of split it this time. I just want to give a quick update on D&D Brief. Um, the, the party rescued the cleric's mom from the uh, from the the nasty old spellcaster necromancer person, they don't really is, know is this, what he uh, is. Is they, this is this spoilery for people who haven't like? Is this, is this episode come out yet? Uh, this particular episode has come out, but in a minute, I'm going to say something spoilery. Okay, so people, should be uh, but uh, but not too much. Yeah, yeah. So so not not super duper spoil. No no huge details about the spoilation, but I'm really excited about something that's going to happen. So I'm I'm going to tell people that something's going to happen. So uh, and I've already talked about it on Twitter anyway. So uh, so 
<laughs> so the party they rescue the the mom of the cleric and they they get her out in a really ingenious way and they aren't sure what the deal is with with this old necromancer guy they don't know what he what he is they don't know if he's trying to become a lich they don't know if he's working for some demon or they, they don't really know exactly what's going on all they know is that when they were fighting him he seemed to somehow take some life force from one of the one of the player one of the PCs and it had to be a specific PC it became obvious and so they're really kind of puzzled and they're not really sure what's going on uh, but anyway they escape that situation so that's that's all been posted already so just very briefly not much spoilers they go back to Cal- to uh, they go back to the Hakka village on the island and when they get there they're exploring around they're trying to figure some things out and they're talking and um, they get a, uh, a an ensemble. Uh, they see that there's this other ship around, and they get there's an ensemble of of sailors that come up in a boat, and uh, they are uh, blue goblins, and they challenge someone to a duel, and the party thinks they're challenging the captain of the ship, who is the cleric player. Uh, but they're not challenging uh, the captain of the ship. They're actually challenging uh, the Lutrinian, the otter folk, because the Lutrinian's sword that they have is an artifact that indicates royalty. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to figure out what, what's happening, and they discover that the, the person or the, the thing that's actually challenging them is a, a well-known pirate whose name is Sharkface. And so well, what's going to happen... <laughs> Of course it is, because that's what happens. So what's going to happen in the next episode is that there is going to be a duel, and I'm using some modified dueling rules. And so it's I'm hoping it's going to be extremely interesting, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I really am going to have a lot to say about it after it happens. Uh, but it hasn't happened yet. So just mm-hmm. if you're interested at all in D&D Brief, uh, stay tuned for the next episode, because it, there's going to be uh, hopefully something really, really cool that happens. And I hope it is really dynamic and fun. And it might fall flat on its face, and that you know that happens as well, but whatever. Uh, but I, I'm super excited about it as a DM, because I'm doing something that I haven't done in a really, really long time, and that is have two individuals duel in a game. And I'm working in enough around what's happening that I think everyone's going to have things to do. It's not like one player is going to be doing all the activity and everybody else is just going to be sitting there. So I, I think the players are trying to sneak in some cheating things and that's okay. I really, I want that to happen because I think they, they want their person to win the duel, but we'll see what happens. So I think that's going to be really cool. There's a really important so question from, uh, yes. from Merrick in the chat. He wants to know, does shark face wear a mask in the shape of a shark? <laughs> no, shark face is uh is a, is a shark uh <laughs> who is ba- basically a were shark is the kind of the closest. He's not really a were shark, but he basically can take on a kind of hybrid form so that he can seem sort of uh more like a humanoid bipedal shape. Uh <laughs> but he has a full-on shark head and face and he can he can uh, hit with his fins, and he can wield a rapier. Yeah, it's, so. he's the it's the <laughs> it's the DC Comics character uh, King Shark. He's a villain. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. 
he's a, he's a, he's actually an NPC in the campaign that has existed in the campaign for a while. They just haven't known it. They didn't know who this yeah. person was. So it's it's going to be a little bit interesting. Um, but so so that leads me to my second game. My second game is the game where we were playing Grendelroot, but we finished with that. And uh, so the boys are creating new characters, and they created a Minotaur fighter and a Elfard. And uh, they want to play in a game that is near a city but also has some sort of traditional dungeon crawling elements because they have they didn't really do very much dungeon crawling. They don't consider it dungeon crawling. They were in freaking Grindelroot. They, they were hey. dungeon crawling the whole time, but they don't that's it wasn't traditional. It was caverns and weird underground places and so they they're not thinking of it like dungeons. So they want like actual like tombs to raid and, you know, dungeons of of, you know, crypts and, you know, stuff like that. Uh Dungeons with five or six levels that they're, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're going to get a little bored with real fast. So I'm, I'm not sort of hanging a whole campaign on, right. on dungeon crawling because I, I don't think that they'll enjoy it as much as – I think they want a taste of it, but they're going to want to do other things too. Um, so – but what I have is – so I, I – they're actually playing in my homebrew setting now. And so uh, I gave them a, a, a sort of uh, a small – campaign document right with some different character options and whatnot and one of the things that they that they were were interested in was in the setting there's there are these rumors about these places of power in the earth and uh there's power emanating and sometimes it's dangerous and sometimes it can be useful and the rumor is that the reason that there's power emanating from the from the ground or from wherever in certain places on the earth is that uh, during the last several, there, there were two or three wars with demon incursions in the history of the world, like, you know, a thousand years ago. Is this ago. the same and world the, that D&D the, Brief is on? Yeah, same world, okay. but not, it's, 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 so, <laughs> so I can't tell you something because uh, if my players are watching that are playing D&D Brief, <laughs> it'll ruin something to find out later. Okay. So I can't, so yes, it's the same world, but it's a slightly different time frame. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it's, it's before it's, it's right before the sinking. Okay. okay. And one of the things that the, the players liked was the the rumor about the, these places of power in, on, in the earth is that there are shards of the weapons that were used to defeat the demon Lords when there was a demon war. And those shards of those broken weapons got, they got sunk deep into the earth and that's what's emanating the power. And so the question is, is the power emanating because those things are working their way back up to the surface or is the rumor just completely false or can they go and find those shards and will it give them power or will it hurt them? So that's what they're kind of exploring. And as you can tell, I'm just at the very beginnings of the sort of laying out what I'm doing here mm-hmm. because I don't really know how much they're going to want to crawl under the earth and go in dungeons because they just did that. So it might be that they really liked it mm-hmm. doing it in Grindle Root. And so they really kind of want more of that, but they want access to a city above ground too. Or it could be that they don't realize, you know, that they're, they're not really sure still. So, you know what I mean? So are you, Cause they're new are you building a dungeon then for them and see, where, see how it goes or what's the plan? 
Well, so the plan for the fir- so the first session is going to be this Sunday. I mean, we had a session zero where they. Uh, right. That's how I know all this about what they think they want is because they could. I actually had them make two characters, and so basically what they're going to do is uh, they're going to pick at the beginning of each session which main character they want to be, and the other two will kind of be there to help and and buffer them. But right. that way they they've got like a four character party. Uh-huh. Uh, it's easier to kind of deal with that way. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make like a smallish dungeon, two or two levels, couple of levels, and and put a couple of you know traps in there, something interesting. They might find something valuable. What's going to happen is the the baron of the town that they're in is going to request that they go seek out something. Right? Mm-hmm. That he's gonna he's gonna make a request of them, and they're going to accept, and they're going to go and they're going to find this two or three level dungeon, relatively small. Not I'm not talking like mega dungeon, not right. even probably twenty rooms. Right? Um, just to give them a taste of what it's like to to play that way, because I'm not sure they actually know what right. that's like. So they think it sounds cool, but I don't know if they're going to like it. I wasn't sure if you were going to like convert like parts of Dungeon of the Mad Mage because. That would that works well for that, right? You could just do something that the task requires you to go down to like level two and then get out and you're done. But and then if you want to do more, they can do more. But I know you like to make your own stuff too. So yeah, I mean it's huge though. That's the problem. So uh, I'm probably going to just cobble something together. Uh, I ha- I have an idea of a couple things I can cobble together and just to give them sort of a very simple like I I also don't want to hit them with oh and here's these factions and here's you know because the first couple of levels of Dungeon of the Mad Mage are all about what's going on with all the the, the two or three factions in right. there and they're defending their territory and all that and I don't want to throw that at them at this point I just mm-hmm. want them to be able to go dungeon crawl find a bunch of loot find something interesting or maybe a note or a journal or a spell book or something that indicates where they might want to go next. You, and you know, then, you know, you know what, would, what would be really good for, for this? It sounds like, um, and it's the, t- your timing sucks, but, uh, Tolis <laughs> is, is built for this, right? Yeah. And, and, they, and they're yeah. in the middle of a Kickstarter right now to convert Tolis to fifth edition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that yeah. would have been perfect. Well, I have, I have the PDF, I have the PDF of, of the, the original, of the original Tolis. Nice. So, yeah. Steel um, the though. thing is that I, I don't think they want to spend a ton of time in the town. I think they just want access to a town right. because they didn't really feel like they had access to a lot of resources last mm. time. Um, because of course, deep delvers enclave, the way that they ended up interacting with that town from the very beginning, they were kind of the saviors. So they didn't feel like Deep Delver's Enclave offered them a lot of resources, although they did. I mean, they got a ton of resources. But from their point of view, I think they saw it as a little kind of podunk little right. town that didn't really didn't really have a lot of, of things for them. So they want access to a large town, but I don't think they want to actually – spend a lot of time in a city they just want to be able to buy stuff they want to be able to buy stuff you know talk talk to some nobles if they need to mm-hmm. right uh have access to some maybe a magic shop or something you know what i mean um and so yeah i, th- I think that's mostly it which suits me fine because the part of the world that they're in right now it has sort of uh it's almost a very gray hockey feel to it where there's kingdoms and duchies and whatnot. And so there can be a lot of political intrigue or, you know, you're just in a city and you can go off and look at some dungeons and you don't have to deal with the intrigue if you don't want to. Uh, and so, and I did that on purpose because I knew what, you know, 
because at first they said they wanted to play in a big city and have a big city campaign. And as I started delving into, well, what big city am I going to use? I started talking to them about, okay, well, what does that mean to you? What do you, when you say that, what do you, what do you think that means? Like, are we, you know, cause I, I think at first one of the, one of the players just wanted to be able to run around picking people's pockets. Right. So he needs a, a big enough city that he could run off into the crowd and not get caught. Um, and that's that's basically uh, what it ended up being. Like they they want you know it's it's sort of I, I think they really need a traditional kind of. There's a little bit of overland wilderness. There's a little bit of dungeon. There's a little bit of city stuff because they really haven't experienced all that much. So that's the so that's the that's the thing. So that's what I'm doing. So because I don't know really how much they're going to enjoy the dungeons, I'm not throwing a big dungeon at them yet. But I mean, I have of course a ton of things running through my right. head, but really it's going to depend on what they do in the first session. So but I mean, I welcome all suggestions. So if you have something that you're other than Tolus, <laughs> <laughs> right. which is like that's a big suggestion. pages yeah. of stuff I have, yeah. Yeah, I have it. I have told us too, and I want to. I want to dig into it. I have the original PDF, and I kind of want to dig into it more. I, of course, back the Kickstarter because I back everything of theirs. Yeah, I, yeah. I back the Kickstarter, but I don't. I never played the original, so. Yeah. I I ha- I glanced at the because I've had the PDF for a while. I, I also backed the Kickstarter because I know what a great product it is, and they just make such great stuff. I also backed Arcana of the Ancients, which mm-hmm. is good. So I might, when that shows up, I might, I might start integrating some of that. Because I think these guys would really like some of the sort of more sci-fi elements mm-hmm. that that it probably has in it, if it's anything like Numenera at all. Right. Um, so you know. Do you have? Um, I think it's Cobalt Press, uh, Mike. I think you've got a, 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 a layer in it, uh, Eldritch Layers. Did you? Do yeah, Eldritch Layers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a that's a nice um, if you're look because I was just thinking if you want to find a place to steal stuff and steal ideas like that's a really good go to for short short sort of uh, you know uh, one or two one layer you know ten room dungeons that you could play with a little bit. I also have their you know I. I'm a Patreon supporter of theirs, so I have all of their warlock. Oh yeah, layers all the warlock all layers. Yeah. Their warlock layers are great. Um, yeah, so, you got, so you got yeah, a lot I of mean, things you can pull I, from. Yeah, yeah, I have a ton of stuff. The the thing is, I you know, it's really hard because I'm a big campaign guy, right? Like I love running these long campaigns, and that's one of the things I loved about Grindelroot was it's individual like little session based things, but it's this huge campaign, right. and. The problem with me with starting a campaign with with these players, these particular players, is because they don't really know what they want. I can't really plan a whole campaign right now. I have to run a couple of sessions with them to let them get to know their characters and see like what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. Then I can kind of put a bigger overall sort of plot to it. Right. Right. And I just I just don't know where it's going yet. Yep. Yeah, I think that's you know, and when people play play uh, Lost Mine of Fandelver, I've been I've had an article that I wrote for a long time about like what to do after Lost Mine of Fandelver, like once you've finished it, which adventure should you do, should you go to? And my best recommendation is start over. Right. You, know, you, you learned <laughs> yeah. you learned how to play D anD D. You got some characters together. You learned a little bit about the Forgotten Realms. Now go start at first. Yeah. Come up with new characters. And play through one of the big ones. Yeah. yeah, one of the things that I considered doing was putting them in like Port Nianzaru, but without the Death Curse. Just because yeah, all all the stuff on Cholt is just there's so much stuff there, and you don't there. need the Death Cult. 
right? Yeah. You don't need the death curse. I mean, I said cult. You don't need yeah. the death curse to make that work. And, you know, because I ran that before, I'm a little bit familiar with it. A little bit. I'm a lot familiar with it. But I also, I sort of learned what didn't work and what did work already. And so I could kind of tailor that because it has the mines that you could look at. It's got those shipwreck sites. It's got the the boat in the uh, in the tree. It's got the the heart of Uptow. It's got that the garden of the whatever that yeah. garden there's place is. Of, it's I got mean, the lost city. Yeah, there's a ton. There's, there's a ton so of different things. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much going on there. So I consider doing that. Uh, I don't. It might be what I end up doing. It's right. like transporting that sort of framework right into the area of the world they're in. Right. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. It kind of depends on how they how they end up playing their characters. I, I, the interesting thing is the one one player is he decided to play a bard, and he he basically looked at me sort of questioningly for a minute because he was going to play a bard, and then his brother was trying to convince him not to. And I said, "You should play the character that you want to play. Play the thing that you think is going to be interesting." And he said, "Yeah, but I don't really speak very well. Like I can't." have a speech i don't have a speech i can't come up with i'm not that smart or quick like i can't say the speech and i said to him well number one that's why you have skills and that's why we have these dice right your your character does yeah your character has that you don't have to have it all you have to have is an idea of what you're going to try to convince people of or what you're trying to persuade someone to do or what you're you know and then you tell me, and then we work it out. Right. And I'll say things like, "How are you going to do it? You like, like, how do you think? You know, are you going to try to play music while you're doing it? Are you going to try to be right. intimidating in your persuasion, or are you going to try to, you know, kind of, kind of grease the wheels and like bribe them, or are you, you know?" And he got really excited that I was going to let him play this character that's supposed to have a lot of charisma, and he feels like he has no charisma. I mean, you know, he's a 15-year-old kid. He feels like he's, you know, he's at that gawky age, right? So he's tall and gangly and feels like he has no charisma. And I'm like, hell yeah, play a bard, man. (laughs) Why not? Play a bard. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's going to be really fun. Cool. Yeah. Well, I look forward to hearing how that goes. Um, Before we let Mike talk, Merrick asks, uh, do we all pre-plan our campaigns or are we more reactive in the way we plan our campaigns? I know, uh, Sam, we're talking right now about doing it in a more reactive way as they're they're learning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things that I I learned a a few years ago when I first moved to this area and I started with that – the group that I used to play with – and I didn't know them at all, and I was so freaked out about going and running this game for people I didn't know that I had this big campaign. I made this big campaign binder. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it wasn't that I was going to run that thing from front, from cover to cover, right. front to back, and just you know push them through everything. I didn't even look at that thing for the fir- you know, uh, at any session, actually. Mm-hmm. I never looked at that thing. But what it was is it let me prep that region of the world that they were in and the NPCs and motivations so well that I felt comfortable walking into that room and running this game for people I didn't really know. So of how I do my prep, because that was such a it was such a great experience because they ended up being pretty good players and mm-hmm. they like they were very reactive and proactive and I could be reactive and proactive. And there was a push pull there that worked because I knew 
the setting and the city and what was going on. Um, but I didn't have like a huge overarching plot in mind at that point in time. Kind of what I just described to you a minute ago, what I said I was going to do with these boys that I don't, I can't plan a whole plot. I, I don't usually do that. I wait for the characters to get built up a little bit before I figure out what's going on. Unless that, I'm running a published module. That's it. That's it. That said, D&D Brief feels like you had more of a vision of sort of how it would play out. Well, I had um, I knew I knew what what I thought happened, okay. right? And I and I had talked to the players a lot before we even had like the first episode mm-hmm. about what kind of game they wanted and what they thought they were going to do and how they thought their characters, uh, what their backstories were going to be like and how, and all that stuff. So I could sort of form something. And, but the reason I did that was more because I was trying to get an idea of how long the campaign was going to be for, for the purposes of the show. Right. You know, because, you know, like don't, James Interqueso, don't split the podcast network, asked, well, you know, are you going to run a five-year campaign or is it going to be like one-year things or six-month things or how, how do you how are you thinking about this right, right. now? And so I, I wanted to have some answers. And so that's that's where that that's where that came from. Right. Um, but really that the D D it's interesting you say that because that's a lot of that is just player driven. I built that campaign based on what the players said they wanted and what they were interested in based on the 10 page setting document I gave them. So nice. Yeah. Mike, what about you? Do you, do you pre-plan sort of where your campaign is going? Or I mean, are you I, reactive? I play, so I play, um, the hardcovers. So I kind of know the general direction they're going to go. Uh, my next one won't be, I'm, I'm running an Eberron. I'm going to be running two Eberron campaigns, nice. but I, and I think I'm, I'm just kind of picking North stars. Like I, I know what the, I know what the seed right. of the campaign is going to be. And I, I try just so I don't go nutty. I, I will probably outline like the 10 to 12 major locations. The characters will visit right. and, you know, kind of build it from there. That's my, that's my intent. So I would yeah. say pretty, pretty light and, you know, light and with a loose grip. Well, and, and mine tends to be similar. Like, I, I come up with sort of what, where I feel the theme of the, the story is going to be, right? What, what I like, you know, the North Star sort of things that you, that you talked about. Like, I, I've got – and then I develop sort of the major story beats. Like, I kind of have an idea of how this plays out. And usually the thing that um, – the thing that I probably plan the most is the end, for whatever reason, when I run a campaign, like I always have a vision of like the final scene of the campaign. I have no idea right. how we're going to get there, but I kind of but that helps that me then find interesting things that that, that are player driven in terms of how we get there, uh, and, and it usually works out pretty well. Sometimes the players throw me for a complete loop, and the campaign completely changes, and I come up with a new ending to aim for. Right, so it's still right. fairly reactive, but I'm I've always got that sort of end vision in head in my head like i know how the current game is campaign is going to end uh in in terms of them recapturing all the dark powers back into their amber amber coffins and sending barovia back to ravenloft is sort of how that campaign ends right uh that's that's of the vision in my head now how do i get there you know so um that's that question from merrick i hope that was helpful um, I want to remind people that it, another way to support the show is at Patreon, patreon.com slash the Tome Show. 
you can become you can become a patron. You can give us you know a dollar a month or however much you think uh, the show is worth. Uh, that helps me to basically pay the bills for the show uh, and do all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, it allowed me to to do things like every now and then pick up products that I otherwise probably wouldn't spend the money for for reviews and, and all that kind of stuff uh, as well. Uh, after you know years of building up funds, I I can do things like pick up the platinum edition of Descent into Avernus to let people know what's in it and and how it works and all that kind of stuff. Um, So that's uh, a way that people can help us out that way is by becoming patrons. Patreon.com slash The Tome Show. All right, Mike, you have um, you only get Eight minutes. 75 minutes. Eight minutes. That's all of them they have left. A cup of coffee, man. We're going to be here a while. <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm, start, I'm hitting start on your timer. Go. Call Grubhub. <laughs> Get yourself a sandwich. Because I'm taking some time. So uh, I am running Ghosts of Salt Marsh. And I, for two different groups, and I think I'm within one or two sessions of finishing both groups. So it is going to be one session left of my Sunday game and one to two sessions of my Wednesday game. We'll see how it goes. Okay. So I don't even remember what happened last time. So I'll go quickly over the last couple <laughs> of adventures. Um, I've been running the sty. So I've been running ghost of salt marsh all the way through. Mm. And, uh, I just ran the styes yeah, how and was that one? Tom. So the styes is pretty, pretty fun. And I'm both of these adventures. I homebrewed more than, uh, I did the previous okay. ones. So I, I homebrewed Isle of the Abbey, which we talked about a little bit. Uh, but the, these two in particular, like the the direction that the campaign was going, was in a direction where I wanted to, um, I wanted to homebrew these a little bit more. I was I was more flexible with how I ran them. So in my version of the styes, the characters had a reason to go there because uh, Ilandar Fireborn, one of the council members of Saltmarsh, his daughter had been kidnapped by the Scarlet Brotherhood and was being held at the styes by the head of the Scarlet Brotherhood, who's this nasty character named Mr. Dory. Uh, Mr. Dory actually is a member of the Scarlet Brotherhood, but his true alliance lies with Tharzadun. He is a, a, a head of the humanoid cultists of the chain god in the styes. And with under the influence, is full of spoilers. It's full of spoilers, kind of, <laughs> but then a bunch of it's fine. You can't really be spoiled by not my nonsense, but it's you know close enough. So the 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 true uh, leader of Tharzadun in in the styes is an abolith that I named Sogoth, and uh, it has another name, but I thought Sogoth sounded right. cooler. So um, Sogoth lived in an ancient abolithic temple beneath the styes, and had been slowly converting. Uh, the people of the styes into servants of him, which are mainly sea spawn. And I, I came up with this sort of ecology that uh, a humanoid would slowly be turned into a sea spawn. And then if they were of uh, sort of strong merit, they could become a deep scion uh, or even a Kraken priest. They could sort of make their way. If they were really smart and powerful, they'd head one direction. If not, they'd be a sea spawn and then eventually would turn into a creature called a scum, which is this like uh, octopus sort of half uh, cephalopodic uh, humanoid creature, uh, but very dumb and very powerful. So uh, I stole an idea that had been kicking around on the net uh, called the False Hydra, which I really 
loved. So if you Google false hydra, you can read all about it. But the concept behind a false hydra is that there's a creature that lives underneath a town or a city. And not only does it kill and eat people, it removes the entire memory of that person from everybody who knew them. So if you're the characters and you're wandering around, you'll start to see people not only disappear, but like no one remembers that they were ever there. So they might say, oh, yeah, well, we love our beloved king. And they'll say, well, doesn't he have a son? He goes, no, he never had a son. It's like, well, what about this picture of him with this boy? Oh, we don't really know who that is. And then three days later, it's like, no, we never had a king here. We've always been in a, you know, we're an autonomous collective. Well, what about that castle? <laughs> oh, that's just some old castle that's been there forever. How well, do the, what about how this do the players still uh, remember? Well, so I think some of the fun is actually having the players forget, too, okay. so, or the characters. So now you get into the meta where you could say, like, yeah, you don't have any memory of a king. And they're like, what do you mean I don't have a memory of a king? I saw him yesterday. No, you didn't. What? And then you can start to play with the player and character split. So the players know that something is going on. The characters don't. But they'll still kind of have to un unravel this weird mystery. Uh -huh. So I didn't play that in early enough, unfortunately. But I did play it in later where they started to learn that as people got converted into scum, that it not only removed them from, you know, not only converted their bodies, but their memories were also removed. And some of the NPCs they had, uh, not only would they uh, be converted into, into C-Spawn, but they, the memories of them would be removed. And I kind of dropped that in sort of late after they already knew what the storyline was. And that was not quite as impactful, but it was a fun little event. Like, wow, you know, this Abolith, because it makes sense for an Abolith to be able to do that. Like, Aboliths are constantly manipulating people's memories and stuff like that. So for them to just sort of, and, and one way to have it where the players can, or the characters can still remember is that the Abolith hasn't gotten to them yet, but it's able to remove the memories from everybody in the town. Anyway, Remind so. Remind me at some point to tell you what I did with the Stone of Galora, which is an Abolith in a different form, right? Because I'm doing a very similar sort of thing with that. Yeah, I'll, I'll remind you next time we have a show. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so the, they, the characters, uh, you know, dissected this whole enterprise and they killed Sogoth the Abolith. But Sogoth cried out in its last, like, death throw. And in response came like the big bad and in one in my sunday game the big bad is a black whale pitch black inky whale called the black death who's actually a avatar of tharzadun in the sea and the this came about because one of the characters had the background my parents were killed by a whale <laughs> and we turned that into i said wouldn't it be cool if it was like a tharzadun warlock whale that could like cast a huge <laughs> evard's black tentacles right <laughs> And so, we, and I, uh, and periodically, this this evil black whale would show up. It showed up when we did salvage operation, and then it came to the town and it destroyed the styes. It destroyed the whole city, killed everybody inside. You know, only the people that managed to escape from it managed to get away. Uh, in my other game, one of my characters, one of my players, early on, uh, the ship got hit by a mage who cast acid arrow, and it burned a big hole in the side of the ship. And they had to patch it up. And when they went to shore. Uh, they said the, the people who are repairing are like, what the hell hit your ship? And one of the players said acid cracking. And so I wrote that down. And then in <laughs> salvage operation, sure enough, they get hit by an acid cracking. Right. Right. And they're like, oh, my God, the acid cracking's real. And so now the acid cracking became the avatar of Tharzadun because there is a juvenile kraken that's in the styes. Right. And I said, we're going to make that sort of this Tharzadun avatar creature in the sea. And in this case, it was the acid kraken. So the in, in the Wednesday in the Wednesday game, 
they fought Sogoth. Sogoth died. Sogoth made the call, and the acid kraken showed up and just rained acid all over the city, killed everybody inside, destroyed it, and it was really terrible. And they fled. And then they did a bunch of stuff in Saltmarsh, including a bunch of politics and getting rid of the Scarlet Brotherhood. Um, and uh, that was really interesting and fun. And the one lesson that I will share from that from that game was. Uh, the politics can get really overwhelming when you have like three members of the council are under the sway of the Scarlet Brotherhood and the characters have figured out who, but they have to like confront them. And we're like, do we really want this game to just turn into courtroom drama and an episode of C-SPAN? Right. And, and I remember like my wife was like, man, I'm not looking forward to next week's C-SPAN episode of D&D. And I was like, OK, we're going to have another way. And the other way was that the head of the Scarlet Brotherhood, who they knew, uh, said he's going to leave town. And it became the characters hunting him down while he's trying to escape. And all of the other sort of Scarlet Brotherhood agents were trying to get him out of town. So they had this great big fight, and he ended up dead in a sewer. And there was no C-SPAN episode, and it was really great. <laughs> and people liked it. So um, now we're running Tomarot's Fate. And that one I'm completely reskinning. And the basic idea of Tomarot's Fate is that uh, the characters have to get to an island called the Isle of the Monolith. And on this isle is a huge... 50 foot high Tharzadun monument that's been there for like a million years. And it turns out the monument is actually a, an anchor to a chain that's connected to Tharzadun's realm through a rift in a city that's sitting underneath the island, an old abolithic city called the Endless Nadir, which is actually in the book. And uh, the chain goes through this rift. And on the other side, it's connected to another monolith, but that one's in the realm of Tharzadun. So if you want to break both anchors, and the, this is the only way to disconnect the worlds and close the rift, you have to not only destroy the monolith on the high, uh, up in the world, you have to go down through the rift into this realm and destroy it down there too. And uh, so both groups crossed the sea. They um, got into a huge fight with the Tomarot itself, which is a huge pirate ship full of, full, full of stuff. So like last night I ran a game and we had... Uh, the characters were on the their their ship, which is known as the Acid Kraken, of course. <laughs> and um, they got attacked by the Tomarot, which had thirty pirate zombies, uh, eight pirate swashbucklers, uh, zombie swa zombie swashbucklers, um, two zombie assassins. Or these are drowned, the drowned assassins, and uh, the Sea Prince Sergal, who's the last of the Sea Princes, and the one that's an undead guy. So that was 30 creatures on that side. 30? 30 creatures on that side. 40 creatures on that side. And then the Acid Kraken showed up. So they had to fight. Like I looked at it in D&D Beyond, and it was like three times the experience budget that I should be using for an encounter. <laughs> um, and, and it lasted like two hours. It was a huge fight. But it was just awesome. Like you throw that many bad guys and like they're hitting gust of wind and like five zombies go flying off into the sea. You know, so you can do these like really huge scale battles where the things that the all the things that the players want to do, yeah, like that happens. Like zombies never make their saving throw. So you know when you throw a shatter on them, <laughs> they will explode, you know? And um yeah, that ended up being a, a really good time. Big, powerful battle. And now they went to the island. They found a crazy old man on the island who turned out to be uh, being slowly converted by his presence, his close presence to the realm of Tharzadun into a, uh, a, 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 a seer. So I'm using the star spawn. So if you go to the, the I think it's uh, Morden Canaan's has the star spawn in it. And I'm reskinning all the star spawn into like these Tharzadun creatures. And uh, boy, the seer is a badass. So they fought the seer, and the seer nearly killed them one on one. 
And then um, now they're trying to figure out how to go down below. The interesting thing is for the Sunday game, they fought this year and killed it. They went down and they and they destroyed this sort of Tharzadun angel who is a reskinned uh, uh, star spawn, uh, the the weird larva mage. So there's a star spawn mm-hmm. larva mage. It's like a it's like a I don't know CR seventeen legendary creature, and they beat that one and they found the rift. And they said, okay, what do we do? Like, we know we have to destroy both of these. And they said, let's split the party. So five <laughs> characters went down into the pit into Tharzadun's realm, while a sixth character went back up to go destroy the monolith up above. And there's 50 pirates hanging around the monolith up above that he's going to have to face by himself. Mm. So that's going to be interesting. Now, I've run split battles like this before. And the way that I've done it is I just roll for initiative. And every time it jumps to that person's initiative, we go back to that scene. Right. And they do whatever they're going to do. And then it jumps to the other ones, and we do what we're going to do there. So what I hope to accomplish is that for this final, this final event, it's going to be this split back-and-forth scene about the people down below in Tharzadun's realm fighting off all of these Tharzadun avatar creatures, all of these, you know, the raw, the, the creatures that were born from Tharzadun's madness, which are the Starspawn guys. And then up above is going to be, you know, this one guy facing off against these pirates Right. trying to get to the monolith and destroy it so that both monoliths can be destroyed at the same time. And then hopefully the ones that are on Tharzadun's realm can get back out again. Nice. So it's going to be a crazy conclusion. Um, I hope it runs well. We'll see. One thing, I've, one thing that's kind of happened is I feel like I've been really loose with a lot, of, a lot of the rules. Like when I ran the pirate battle before, I didn't even really know how many pirates they were fighting. So, like, I was like, I don't know, there's a lot of them on this boat. And they're like, you know, how many until we're done killing them all? And I'm like, when I feel like it. Yeah, when so, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, right? But I'm like, I felt like I'm just, I felt like Indiana Jones hanging off of the back of the truck with a whip, uh-huh. right? I felt like this story's roaring forward and I barely have any control over it at all. Um, and yet the players really had a good time. They really liked it. And the same thing last night. Like, I felt like we had these huge epic battles, but that they were really hard. And that they could be kind of grindy and frustrating. So I've ran these and I'm like, man, I don't know if that game went any good. And then I asked my, my wife and I was like on a scale of one to ten. How good is the game? She's like, oh, it's like an eight and a half or a nine. I really liked it. And then I asked two of my other players like, oh, yeah, oh, a good solid eight. It was a lot of fun. So I'm like, oh, all right. You know, I thought it wasn't great, but they really enjoyed it. So, yeah. Anyway, that's where my game is. So what's the question? Uh, so, so two things. One, uh, for our listeners' benefit, uh, Tharzadun is Thera's done for anybody else? Whatever. <laughs> just, just so <laughs> people aren't confused. Fair not your tyrannical. No, I, I have no problem with your pronunciation. You, you, you do you, my man. World, it's not Tharzadun. You do you. I'm, I'm cool with it. I just don't want people to be sending me hate I'm mail. I'm so glad I didn't interrupt my train of thought <laughs> so you could bring that. No, but the. I, and, the the thing I wanted to ask was uh, – uh, see, Merrick's even correcting you in the chat. Uh, Merrick pointed out that you switched the uh, Tamarot's Fate and, and uh, the Sty's stories, and I was curious yes. why you did that. I, so I did that um, because I put both options in front of the characters, and they chose to go to the Sty's first. Okay. So um, I said, like, they, they knew they had this story of, like, do you want to rescue Ilandar's daughter? And you know that the Styes is, like, the, 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 nest, the nest of the Brotherhood. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a terrible place and, you know, it needs to be handled. Or, and, and, and you have to go out and close the rift in the Endless Nadir. Did, and did both, both parties did that? So, okay. 
Yeah, both both ended up saying like, let's go to the thighs first, take care of that mess, and then we'll go out into the endless of the deer. Once we know that Salt Marsh is going to be protected and that Elendar's daughter is back, because like we don't know if we're ever coming back, and it would suck if we can't help solve that problem. Okay, Merrick also wants to know if you ever get confused running the same adventure for two groups. Yes. Oh yes, I do. Mo- mostly <laughs> in this one, and 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 the reason why this one I got I got really confused is that. In my Sunday game, so you had all this like politics of salt of the Scarlet Brotherhood, secret members and like, you know, a bunch of people in the town that are members of the Scarlet Brotherhood. And they're trying to slowly get control of the council and they're blackmailing and assassinating people to try to, you know, rule. Basically, they want to rule over Salt Marsh and they don't care. They don't want to be on the council. They just want to know they own the people that are on the council. And in my Sunday game, they released a vampire that was underneath Saltmarsh named Zolek. And Zolek is in the book. And Zolek, it was kind of a, a, a shady alliance with the players in my Sunday group. But for him to say, hey, let me tell you, you rescued me. You know, I was trapped down there and it sucked. And now I'm out and I'm a lot better. And I'm not going to kill anybody in town. I'll probably just kill people that are traveling. But uh, hey, because you're cool and you did that, why don't I help you with this salt, this Scarlet Brotherhood problem? And he just start, started charming people and asking, them, "Hey, you remember the Scarlet Brotherhood?" They're like, "Yep, yep, I am." <laughs> and so every time the party would come back, he's like, "Hey, I, I, I found out three more rings of people inside Scarlet Brotherhood," you know. And then they're like, "Wow, this guy's great." And they felt like, "Yeah, you remember that that." The woman that you met at the bar and she was really nice. Yeah, she was actually a member of the Scarlet Brotherhood. And like, oh, I hated her. Oh, she's so mad. Right. And so their problem is now the vampire owns the council. Right. right. Like through all these other influences. Now the vampire's got three fifths of the council on his side and you know, including like his thrall. You know, it's like his thrall and like two people that he's been you know working with. So, yeah, I completely it's so easy to lose track of like. You know, I, I can't even remember. I'm like, in my Sunday game, is is you know, is this guy dead or is he? Where is he? Like one of the council members, Gellin Primewater. I'm like, I think he died, but I can't remember. You know, <laughs> and so yes, you got really good to, notes. To lose. This one more than others, and and uh, I would say that um, Storm King's Thunder was pretty easy to lose track of too, because the, the it was so big that the directions the characters took was very different. So yeah. But it's but also great fun. I really love uh, playing multiple, uh, playing the same adventure for multiple people because it does ease up my prep a bit. Uh, but the way I run my games, which is very similar to how you talked about running the Castle Lantern place, is right. like set up the situation, you know, decide what it looks like in there, and then let the characters deal with it, and then see how they deal with it. And that idea of like playing D anD D to watch what happens works really well when you're playing the same adventure multiple times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Uh, unless you've got anything else, I'm not going to tell you to stop talking. Well, I, I will eventually. But... I'm done. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I need to say. Eberron. So I'm running Eberron. That's going to be crazy. We'll have to talk. Yeah, I look forward to talking about Eberron. Uh, you've been doing uh, hardcover pre-planned adventures for a long time since we've been talking. I know. Right. I, I, did, I did Shadow of the Demon Lord for 11 weeks. So that was yeah. the last time I did like a homebrew campaign. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I look forward to talking I'm about excited. that what, next month. Will you be ready to yep. talk about that? So, nice. Mike, I, I, I want to tell you that uh, I love it when Jeff makes fun of you for pronouncing it Tharzadun because <laughs> when I was in, I, I actually play in a game as well uh, once a month. And in that game, my character, we were talking about something 
and uh, that undersea creature that that uh, you know has tentacles and attacks ships. I pronounce that Kraken, and you you all pronounce it Kraken. Mm-hmm. I pronounce it Kraken because there's no C, so like. There's no C before the so second it's, it's K. Not so. in a, uh, it's not an authority, but how does D&D Beyond? I, I, I don't know, but, here, but here's what's <laughs> funny. Is in that game, I said, some, I said something about a Kraken, and they said that as in character, the other characters started saying, I think it's Kraken. And I said, no, 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 it's Kraken. And so we had this whole exchange right. in character <laughs> in about character. how to pronounce a particular word. And I just... I think it's hilarious that Jeff always makes fun of you for saying Tharzadun. I'm not right. making fun that's of you. I, I, I just don't want to hate mail. I will not yeah, change. that's why I will not make fun of you for being wrong about how you're pronouncing <laughs> Kraken. That's right. <laughs> Chimera, Merrick. It's pronounced Chimera. Let's check, let's check D&D Beyond on that, too. Although I didn't, I grew up pronouncing that one wrong, and then I saw it in a movie or something. Yeah, I was oh. doing Chimera, yeah. So. Yeah, it's Chimera. According yeah. anyway, to anyway, we have we have gone on and on about this uh, for entirely too long. I really didn't intend it to be a whole thing. So uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to go ahead and call this the end of the episode. Thanks for joining us uh, in the the chat room on the Twitch. Remember, if anybody of you out there listening want to join us, uh, we will announce these on um, Twitter at uh, at the Tome Show. We'll announce it on Twitter. Um, and then usually we'll all retweet it and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then we get together once a month. We record one of these, and then eventually it gets edited and released. And Sam's working on uh, shortening the the lead time on that. Uh, we're we're putting together yep. plans to, so things come out a little faster too. Uh, plus, a little bit after we record it uh, live on Twitch. Um, usually by the next day, I have it up on YouTube as well, so you can follow and subscribe to the Tome Show's YouTube channel and uh, catch all of it there as well. So um, that's it. We're done. Say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Bye.